Hey, this is Bill Oberst Jr. from Criminal Minds, and you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. of Halloween. <laughs> Welcome to the 2023 13 Days of Hallotober event. I'm your host, Rigor, and the topic this year is werewolf movies. I have two great guests joining me today. First up is frequent guest co-host, Spency. Welcome back, Spence. Hello, happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. And for the first time on our 13 Days event, we have the Prince Regent of Electronic Dance Music himself, Dantes Alexander. Welcome to the show, Dantes. Oh, Rigor, you are too kind. <laughs> <laughs> so how you guys doing? Spence, you, you moved all back into college, I see. How's everything going? That's fine. It's fine. I'm living with all the freshmen since I, I work on campus and I have to live somewhere. So it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. And Dantes, what's going on with you in the music world? Uh, well, you know what, uh, officially, you know, as, after, after, you know, my appearance on, on your show, Rigor, I am on hiatus for a little bit. Um, but outside of music, I've been doing some very interesting things in preparation for tonight's show, like playing, uh, Resident Evil, The Village, and, um, mostly Resident Evil games and trying to connect them to, uh, our topic for tonight. So I'm excited. Awesome, awesome. And the topic tonight is going to be the 1981 John Landis film, An American Werewolf in London. So let's get into it, guys. Isn't this fun? Lovely stroll on the moors. Did you hear that? I heard that. What is it? You think it's a dog? Nice doggy. Good boy. What happened to them? Well, the police report said they were attacked by an escaped lunatic. A wolf. My friend Jack was just here. Ah! Told me that I will become a monster in two days. You're dead, friend Jack. Yes. You gotta believe me, David. Believe what? You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're gonna change. Police! You'll become. I know. I know. A monster. 
need American men stole my balloon. What? What did I do last night? You don't remember? The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. David and Jack, two American college students, are backpacking through Britain when a large wolf attacks them. David survives with a bite, but Jack is brutally killed. As David heals in the hospital, he's plagued by violent nightmares of his mutilated friend who warns him that he's becoming a werewolf. When David discovers the horrible truth, he contemplates committing suicide before the next full moon causes him to transform from man to murderous beast. So, uh, for, give us your first impressions and when you first saw this, Dante, since you're, the, you're new to this, why don't you go first? Cool. Well, okay. Well, I'm just going to flat out say the first time I ever saw this was when I was a lad. A long, long time ago. But you know, when you're a lad, you really don't have an appreciation for these things until you really get older. <laughs> yeah. And one of the first impressions that I got, honestly, was everybody was out of their minds. And I didn't see that when I was a kid because I was just so enthralled with like how beautiful it was. But everybody was out of their minds, Rigor and Spencer. Why didn't anybody ever acknowledge the fact that there was a werewolf? <laughs> right. <laughs> that's funny oh my god spence uh well my first impression of the movie so there's a there's a lovely family story that uh <laughs> rigor likes to tell where i have apparently we have watched this movie many times when i was like very very small <laughs> yeah. um, i i don't remember any of that so i had actually seen this movie i went to see this as a double feature with this uh and the wolfman uh, with with my girlfriend and that was a boatload of fun and i did not remember any of it so it was kind of like seeing it for the first time uh this year and i i really enjoyed it for what it was it was really really fun and i i can see why everybody likes it it's a really it's a quality werewolf uh film nice nice i mean i i, I was gonna mention that too because um my mother and father would would always babysit spencer and he would watch it on VHS tape. And I came in one time, I don't know, like the third or fourth time he was watching it. And I'm like, Ma, do you think that's kind of appropriate for him? And she's like, oh, oh, I don't know. I hadn't considered it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was on VHS. So that shows you how long ago it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with a good VHS. Oh, I know. I still have tons, and I've acquired quite a few in the past couple of years. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I saw this in the movie, speaking to my parents. They always took me to horror movies. That's why they probably didn't. it didn't occur to my mother. But um, we saw this in the movies, and my father had bought a, a Life magazine, and there was a big spread in the middle that showed you the effects they were doing. And I don't know if he got that because he thought it was cool or if he wanted to show it to me so I wouldn't be scared or whatever. Um, so, but we went and saw it and I covered my eyes through most of the gore scenes and I didn't actually see them until years later. I was so scared, but I still enjoyed the movie. And, and since then I've seen it many times and I, I freaking love it. 
Um, and even this time around, I watched it again yesterday, and the jump scares, the jump scares still get me. Um, although I do remember as a kid being uh, disappointed at the end by the way they killed the werewolf. And I will warn folks listening at home, this movie's been out for over 40 years, so there will be spoilers. But I expected... I expected silver bullets, not regular bullets in this. And um, I'll, I'll mention something later on in the commentary. Uh, I listened to the commentary on the Blu-ray about it. But first, let's get let's get into the um, the director, writer and cast and all that. And of course, this film was directed by the great John Landis, who uh, did Michael Jackson's thriller. He did the Blue, the Blues Brothers, Animal House and, of course, the infamous Twilight Zone movie where there was that accident. I don't know if you guys heard yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, Rigor, you're right, dude. Oh, my God. How awful. It, it was oh. awful. The long and short of it is there was a scene in the Twilight Zone movie where Vic Morrow's character ends up in the Vietnam War, and he's this loudmouth racist guy who gets transported back in time, and um, he's supposed to carry these two children out of a deserted village across a river while being chased by American soldiers in a helicopter. Well, I guess... Something went wrong. It was poorly planned or barely rehearsed. And w there were explosions going off all over the place. It damaged the rotor blades on the helicopter, causing it to go out of control. And he's running with the kids. And all three of them ended up getting decapitated by it. And it was just a horrible, horrible situation. Uh, it, was, it was a lawsuit that went on for years um, with John Landis and a few other defendants, including the helicopter pilot. But... They got acquitted of involuntary manslaughter. Um, I guess the trial went on for like nine months, um, and the the parents of the kids sued and settled out of court. Good lord! Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that's got. So was be that before or after American Werewolf? That was after. Okay. Wow. Wow. You you know I personally I probably would never have worked with Landis. <laughs> <laughs> after that. After that, could you, could you? Oh my God, no! That that werewolf scene. Could you imagine all the? <laughs> well, there there was a weird thing too, and I'm wondering if I can find it in my notes. But basically, um, Vic Morrow, he he wouldn't do helicopter scene. Like he wouldn't go in a helicopter in a movie because he was terrified um, of dying, and. Um, you know, that was just really odd. I guess I can't seem to find it in my notes. Maybe if we come across it later on. But um, he had said that to someone on the set before they did the shot, they did the scene, and, of course, he ended up dying. You know, and it was just really weird that he was like, no, no, I'm always afraid of doing that because I don't want to die. I'm going to go out like an actor, but I don't, I don't want to go out today, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So sorry to start off on a downbeat note, but um, Landis also wrote this. And then let's get into the cast here. We've got David Naughton, who plays David Kessler. Uh, he, of course, was in Detroit Rock City. You must have seen that, Dantes. Yes. Love it. Yep. Love it. Love it. Hot Dog, love it. the movie. He got to start doing Dr. Pepper commercials, which you can find on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> Is it the we're a pepper, I'm a pepper? Yes. <laughs> I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper, too? Um, but he was good in this. I liked him. Yeah, I you know, I enjoyed him a lot, too. But you know what I really noticed this time around, actually, by watching it? There were a lot of notable, like, little cameos, like, 
snuck in there. And I guess I didn't notice it when the last time I saw it because I was a kid. But Frank Oz. Yep. And uh, I think John Woodvine, right? Maybe. Yes. But again, like I said, you know, both of those guys, they were their characters really were angering me, even down to the hospital scene, because no one. (laughs) No one admitted that they saw the werewolf. They're like, and I'm jumping around the movie here. That's fine. But one of my favorite parts of of, of the movie Rebor is where, um, gosh, I can't remember their names, but the 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 couple was in their apartment overlooking Hyde Park. Remember? Yes. And the werewolf comes running through, and 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 she goes, "Oh, Scott." Those hoodlums are in the park again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, help those people! Like, <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Well, speaking of cameos, uh, one of them, which I, I, I don't recall if I knew this or not, or if I, I if I did, I forgot it. But um, for uh, Rick Mayall, play is one of the chess players. You guys may remember him as, as Rick on The Young Ones. And he was also in uh, Drop Dead Fred. But he doesn't have any lines. And I, when I, on this rewatch, I, I, um, I actually was doing, doing my notes and my research in between. Like, I watched half of it yesterday, and then I did my notes. And so I saw him in the second half when John Woodvine's doctor character goes to the, um, to the pub. And I was like, oh, my God, there he is. He's so young. And it's so funny how, and you like you said, Rigor, you know, the this movie is almost 40 years old, and you can watch it, and it still has a connection to sort of like what's going on now. And I don't know if it's just because of where my mind is or, or whatnot, but I just loved the, like, you know, stranger, you know, immigrants in the woods. You know, we don't know. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, point. yeah. Um, you know, a little xenophobia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm like, gee, God, I'm like, this movie is, is it like, I, don't, I wonder if, if he knew that, you know, that there was that undercurrent of, of it. Like it, it, it sort of, to me, felt like uh, a commentary of like where we were at that time and where we are now, at least politically. Yeah. Just, just weird. Yeah. It was very interesting. And, and, you know, like you said, you know, you get these two guys, strangers in a strange land, basically, you know. But the and and the the funniest part about it, and I caught it instantly, uh, and Spence said it earlier, was like the the subtle nods to like other films. Uh, yes, like um, the Wolfman, and then the nurse scene. Did anybody feel like they were watching Nightmare on Elm Street with the nurse scene? Which particular scene? The scene when he was in the hospital recovering from getting mauled by the werewolf. And the nurse was, let me check your eye. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I swear, swear to you guys both, I, it, it just made me think of the Nightmare on Elm Street scene where um, I forgot the, the kid's name, but he, he was hard of hearing. And he goes, you want to suck face or whatever? And it was the same. It's so funny how all of these films... <laughs> sort of inspire each other and you can see the the cultural impact that this movie has really had on everything to come after it um even 
like that that transformation it's so iconic and i was talking to my spouse about this before we hopped on i think almost every subsequent movie in the genre even down to like underworld ripped that whole sequence you know what i mean oh yeah oh yeah Um, yeah and I didn't, you know, I really didn't, that, like, that was really shocking to me when I saw that. I was like, oh, my God. Like, and in just the quality of it, like, and all of this was done with practical effects. And it it was making me still squeal, you know, as a 30-something-year-old man, like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. A, I remember when I was watching it, I was a little unenthralled with the story because, like, oh, he gets attacked, and then there was a kind of felt like an extended stay in the hospital, and he gets yeah. visited by his dead friend, and I'm like, okay, like, I, I get it, it's, it's reasonably interesting, and then that first transformation, when you fully see it, fully realized on screen, I had to think to myself, I'm like, they're not cutting away. This is. It, this is everything happening right yes. now. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I, this is wild. And that's, I, I too was looking away like, ooh, ow, ooh. <laughs> and there was an interview with John Landis on the Blu-ray that I watched it with, um, with John, uh, yeah, with John Landis on the Blu-ray. And he said, um, he basically said that he wanted it done in bright light with barely any cuts. He wanted it all done right there. And then he wanted you to feel his, David's pain, you know? Yeah, definitely. That was some. That's actually something that I think this movie kind of pioneered is the concept that being a werewolf sucks in a physical sense. Oh, the man. Wolfman addressed this social and ethical thing of, oh my God, is it really me killing people? But because of just the technology at the time, the the transformation never felt like it was painful. It felt like it just happened, and then you were moving on to this next section of the film, which was perfectly fine. But in this film, it you can hear his bones cracking like it feels like it's not just a not just this ethical thing where they explore oh you did you kill these people you know are you going to kill more innocents yes they explore that but there's also this fact this fact of he's he's really he's he's feeling every second of it yeah and it's terrible oh. and the audience is feeling every second of it and it's not just like a, oh he's a werewolf it's oh my god like i this isn't cool anymore it's not fun to be a werewolf anymore it's now this horrific body horror right. ordeal. I love that. That was really wild. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely have to agree with Spence on that, Igor. I I I think the the whole entire transformation and even the like taking it a step further, like I think the sound design for this film stands at like at least a benchmark, you know, cuz like mm. Spence said you could feel you know, the, the intensity of the transformation. It's, it's so good. Like every, not even just, you know, that scene, even when people were being attacked by the werewolf, like they really put, you know, it, it was just so ahead of its time. It's almost like star Wars with the, <laughs> with, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the, you know what I mean? Like these, these things were, it, it blows my mind. I feel like I've, I've smoked a, like a bong. It blows my mind. How, <laughs> They were able to, it does, because we take this stuff for granted now in this, you know, day and age where we just know automatically that things are computerized. But no, these guys went and built this. They 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 designed the werewolf. They built the pumps. <laughs> right. They painted, you know, like that is, it's such an art form. And I appreciated that and the sound design. Like all of those Foley guys, like I don't know if they won an Oscar for sound, mm. but they, they they totally should have. 
it, it it was pretty pretty fantastic and I, I i really this movie is a big pioneer of that you um mentioned earlier dantes that you were playing resident evil 8 i think we can clearly see the inspiration of the werewolf because the werewolf from oh, yeah. uh, american werewolf in london looks exactly like one of the monsters that you fight in in that game like oh, it's sli- it's slightly different and changed but it's a very very similar design of the quadrupedal human size uh werewolf which is really really fun yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally. I was looking at that um, yesterday, and I was like, boy, this is it's pretty interesting here. Have you played the game, uh, Rigor? Oh, yeah. No, oh, oh, I have yeah. not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I, man. I, I still have it. a PS2, and I only play once in a while <gasps> with my grandson. Yes. I'll never get anything done if I get a new console. <laughs> yes. Well, you're probably right. I'm afraid. <laughs> you're probably right. That's You're fair. probably right because last night I was up until it's like four o'clock in the morning because like now I, I'm going backwards like now I'm on Resident Evil Seven, so <laughs> it, I I and it's all because it's all because of American Werewolf in London. Right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really is a that that game specifically it takes a lot from the like traditional. Uh, Universal Monsters for a lot of its a lot of its inspiration and a lot of the things you engage with there. As for American Werewolf, it's the thing I really that really shocked me was they didn't show the wolf until like like the last like like six eighths of the movie. You know what I mean? Like it was it was very it took a while for you to get a visual. I was a little disappointed for most of. I'm like, oh, I want to see what he looks like. But then by the end, when you see what he looks like, you're like. Oh, that's that's wild. That's in, that that's what we're waiting. We're seeing each step. Like, oh, we see him transform, and then he's gone, and then then by the end, we we see him in all his glory, killing people. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it it was a great way. Actually, I think it's a great great um, cinematographer way not to yeah worship the monster in a way. It really did feel like it was this this disorienting experience for David that we it was very much in his perspective the entire time until the end when it finally came to a head. Yeah, yeah. That was I thought that was a really good, good artistic point to make. Was that this was not, you know, we're not watching it because we get to see the the Wolfman do all this stuff, and this, there wasn't any character who kind of deserved their fate. Right. It all. wasn't a bunch of annoying right. teenagers that deserved to be killed off. Yeah, Thank exactly. God. None of that. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I I always really like that. I just briefly wanted to jump back to the cast for a little bit. I had a few more things I want to say. And, and Dantes, you mentioned Frank Oz, and I will never forget. Watching this in the movie, going, wait a minute, that's Miss Piggy's voice, that's <laughs> Fuzzy Bear's voice, but but Mr. Kessler, you know, it's like, oh my god, right, right. I had, I had, but you know, I, I don't know why I didn't catch that before. Like I had seen this movie, I think probably like four, okay, maybe like five times before I watched it again. So I thought like I knew everything that there was, but I like. I had to rewind it a couple of times, Roger. I'm like, oh, that's, that is that is that is him. And then to and, and to to make it even funnier, they were watching an episode of the Muppets. That's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he's directed a few good movies too. He's directed the Dark Crystal, the Muppets Take Manhattan, and a pretty cool one. Spence, I think I took you to see. It was called Indian in the Cupboard. Do you remember that one? Oh, no. my, dude, yes, of course. I am a total 90s child. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yes, oh, all right. It was the, a 90s movie. Okay. Yes. We went <laughs> to see I, that. Yeah. Look, look, we went to see that after Digity on Ice. 
<laughs> oh god. <laughs> it's this it's basically this movie about this kid who finds this magic cupboard and if he puts his action figures in there they come to life but then the the moral of the film is he's messing with people's lives whether or not they're you know a, a figurine that's come to life and he, he learned some hard lessons in it which i thought was a really good movie i, I definitely you know what that. would be cool though rigor is if we could put the american werewolf in london inside the cupboard and make that come to life well if i had that cupboard i would have put all my monster figures in there and we would all be dead now <laughs> Yeah, I I don't think any of us would have been able to resist that urge. Yeah. Oh man! But you mentioned Nurse Alex Price. She was played by Jenny Agutter, and it was funny because I did a um on a recent episode of um, Fright Lounge. We talked about a movie from 1987 called Dark Tower, which has nothing to do with the Stephen King stories. It's about this people dying in this tower and mysteriously and she's in it. She's like the main character and I'm watching it. And I'm going, where do I know her from? And then finally it dawned on me. I, I was like, Oh my God, she was the nurse and in, in werewolf in London. <laughs> oh, wow. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Dark oh. tower. That was a pretty good movie too. Um, then of course we got Griffin Dunn who played Jack Goodman. Uh, he's been in tons of movies since this. Um, I never really realized how, how funny he was in real life until I heard him on Gilbert Godfrey's podcast a year or two ago. And he's mm-hmm. absolutely hilarious. And him and David Naughton do the commentary on the film. And it's funny because when it gets towards the end, he's like, he's like, why did, why did they not use silver? Why, why does silver not work on these werewolves? <laughs> you know, I always wanted to know that too. It, I, I think everybody sort of was at the end of it. You're like, oh, no silver bullet, huh? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> but the cool part, you know, I think, I don't know if it's cool or if it's it's just, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't spent very much time in London, you know, but we often always see, you know, the nice, you know, idyllic, like, countryside. And I just thought it was so cool to see, like, a rundown, seedy London, 70s style New York a la carte, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you actually come up to a come up to a good point that I was going to bring up is that I myself am a decent consumer of British media. And a lot of the serious stuff tends to – they have their focus, but they always have some sort of at least addressing of the rural areas of the UK – the, there's a whole Torchwood episode about the crazy things that happen in the backwoods of the UK. And spoiler to that one, it had nothing to do with extraterrestrials, which was shocking. That was like it was incredibly <laughs> shocking to find out. So I'm starting to realize and piece together this movie is not maybe intentionally, but there's this commentary of people who don't talk about the things that go on because they just live so far away that it's the way things are you know like you said people why aren't people caring about the the werewolf because it, it, they don't want to get involved in it to some extent and it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting commentary because then you have these foreigners come in and there's that whole sequence where the um the the bartender lady she's like we have to go out and help them it's it's our job to go out and help them. We should do that. And we can't call ourselves good people if we don't. And nobody really listened to her until the end where they managed to save David. Right. Right. It's, it's an interesting commentary on at least a small commentary on how the, the backwoods are 
are addressed and kind of how the rural areas are felt is because the whole thing is that it's an American werewolf in London. He takes this curse from that exists in the rural areas and suddenly he brings it to literally the center of London and we see what happens and the chaos that ensues. Right. Uh, so I, I, even though John Landis is an American filmmaker, I think he did a good job with addressing addressing that and making it feel like it was a proper American-British um, connection yeah. in, in the filmmaking because that's it's kind of one of its small selling points is that, it, oh, it was overseas and it was a, a joint effort, and it, it really was because a large chunk of it, it shows a, a side of England that nobody in America thinks about. Right, right. And I always got the impression that the, you know, the people in the rural area – they didn't want to address it because they were afraid of it, whereas the people in the in the city didn't want to address it because they were too afraid to believe in it. Yeah, that's a good point. Good you know? point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, Dante is like you know, oh, the the hooligans are out. Like they're just refusing to look at whatever it is and say, yeah, this is this is this is what it is. I I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could also be spent what they call the veil. In the Werewolf the Apocalypse role-playing game. Yeah, I, I definitely like that That this film is another piece of evidence for the idea that humans reject what what they're looking at if it's supernatural. I, I really like that concept because, yeah, like they call it, they call it the veil. It's a functional thing in Werewolf the Apocalypse, but it's also to a point where this is in multiple pieces of media where the hu- humanity rejects what it what it can't process if it if it if it defies your worldview in such a metaphysical way you don't ever believe it it happened at all right Right. or in the way that you think it does like how they're they're like oh you were attacked that much we can comprehend but you were attacked by an escaped you know uh, mental institution patient so it's now it's conceivable now people can believe it whereas you know, it's like, oh, a giant dog is running through London. But at the end, it's it's human sized. And then all the soldiers shoot it. And there's a dude there. Yeah. 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 Like, this is this is whole thing. There's this uns, unspoken re, like rejection of the actual reality that we get to witness because it's real for David. All the audience is screaming at the fact that his his entire body is not functional and broken. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It, that, that's a that was something that I always really enjoyed that they they kind of loosely had in the Wolfman, which is very very heavily inspiring to this movie. It, it appears at a certain point on the TV. Yeah, like the like the, David's talking about it. So I always really I always really liked that. And is that they loosely address it there where there are some people who believe in it. But I like the idea that the people in the rural areas, like you said, Pop, they believe in it, but they they understand the threat. Versus the city folk just don't believe in it at all, and will actually address it as if it's a weaker threat than it is. Right. Mm. I love that. Right. I always love that. And I thought it was funny too. I I didn't know this. <clears throat> um, John Landis basically said he was working as a production assistant on Kelly's Heroes, and uh, <laughs> in 1969, and he, he I don't know they were taking a break or driving somewhere or whatever, and he saw a bunch of gypsies, and he goes, oh, it reminded me of Maria Uspenskaya from The Wolfman, and that sort of inspired a werewolf story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. It, it, I always love that. I do love the connection with, the, with the, these monsters and that they have some sort of myth to them. That's a, it's a big thing that nobody really talks about in a lot of monster movies, but sometimes there's a real myth to them, with the exception of science fiction. 
Yeah. Science, yeah, science fiction true. tries to tries to explain it, and that's that's actually kind of what separates it, at least in my head, is yeah. that they try to explain it versus this is just a thing that happens and we deal with it. And, you know, one other theme that Landis mentioned, too, was that he felt he wanted the the transformation, that big main transformation scene, to be an analogy for puberty. And that it was, it's painful through, throughout your, you know, your puberty years, but, and this is all condensed into one scene. I, I didn't get that, personally. I didn't either, actually. But I just was broken. <laughs> it is after he sleeps with the girl. So it's not like, it's, I don't think it's a great analogy for puberty. I think maybe certain physical aspects, but it, this, there isn't a lot of commentary on like him being attracted to girls at all is like, you know, kind of, which is a, another big part of puberty. It just, it, I, I can kind of see that, but not yeah. really. Yeah. I don't, I don't connect it there, at least innately. I think his intent promise. wasn't necessarily sex so much as your body's morphing from a youth to an adult. And his body was morphing from an adult to a wolf. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess I personally just see all of that maybe as like you know a a commentary on the animalistic nature that we all have and that we all suppress on a daily basis. How how many of them don't want to run around and just smack the bleep out of somebody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. And they they give a physical manifestation of his guilt he's literally visited by the ghosts of the people that have died in the in the wake of the werewolf attacks yeah so like i i kind of actually you know kind of i get that part where they're trying to address the you know animalistic nature and then suddenly he's human again and he feels immense guilt for what's happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i i like i do like that i i don't quite see the the puberty thing as like a mainline yeah. Theme throughout yeah. the movie, yeah. at least. I, I agree. I, I kind of get it, but it maybe in certain in, in the transformation itself, I can kind of see it because like, like he gets taller, he gets broader, like everything about him grows, his teeth change. Um, I can I can see that if that's really all he was going for it was just the effects to kind of show. Yeah, and you know, you you just made me think of something too. Is that the um the oh, I forgot what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, oh. it, if it comes back to me i'll think of it again um but one thing landis said too was um everyone calls it a horror comedy and he's like i never considered it a comedy i just you know it because of the horror element the fact that both main characters die in the movie he's like he's like i try to write it so the way people really talk and people generally talk in a humorous manner, you're, you know, you're always finding ways to get each other to laugh, even if it's unintentional. And I, I and guess that's, true. that's what he was trying to get across. But it, I always thought it was, well, first, I always thought it was a horror movie until, you know, about a decade ago when I realized it was also a comedy. I don't see that in this film. What, that it's a comedy? In the same way that I don't see it in something like Scream. Like, I don't see the comedy. Like, yes, there are some comedic moments, maybe a bit more, but the way it's written doesn't seem like it's trying to make the audience laugh. It feels mm -hmm. like it's trying to... It's, it's it's all narratively valuable, whereas, like, my favorite horror comedy is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yes. And that has a clear sign where we're, they're trying to make us laugh, there are horror elements, and then there's a, a little bit of mingling between the two of them at certain points. And I thought that was a clear sign of, oh, this is meant to be funny. Whereas I don't, I didn't quite get that in American world in London. 
Hmm, this is true. This I, is don't, really I don't quite. See, yeah, I don't quite yeah. see that because it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was written as one. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it, it wasn't written as a comedy. Yeah, exactly. So that that didn't that didn't immediately hit me. I guess like, I mean, if you're laughing at the people who died, um, <laughs> I guess. And, and, there is one line that actually vividly sticks out in my head was the was the you know you just gotta the whole them encouraging him to commit suicide because he oh my god yes that totally would not fly today right no not at all and <laughs> this this is a great line like you know if you put it in your mouth you you can't miss yeah. <laughs> and that stuck with me that that did make me laugh really hard and it seemed like it was edited that that to be funny but like. Those those moments were few and far in between, and didn't feel like they were aimed at the audience for most of the film. Well, you know, to be honest with you, if in in if I was some uh, uh, weak-minded child during the time of this film, I possibly would be just questioning: Should I just get it over with? Because it was so convincing. Hmm. <laughs> it's it's an interesting I hadn't view of. of it's an interesting view. Of it the, was Rigor. <laughs> I, they kind of address this in other. This is not a not necessarily. I wouldn't say it's pioneered by uh, Werewolf in London. I think it's just mo- mostly overt. But the concept of like like lock me up, right? Like in Monster Squad, like the whole right. You know, prevent me from uh, from hurting people is a big thing in Werewolf media entirely. And this movie is just a little bit more directed of. If you kill yourself, it's it, it it's over. Right, right. That's you know what true. I mean. That's true. It, it's very very direct about it. And to be perfectly honest, it make it the characters it comes from narratively makes sense. If he's seeing the ghosts of dead people, they're pissed. I right. get it. Like it narratively, <laughs> it's narratively like acceptable to me. So when I when I heard that, it didn't like throw me off. I'm like, yeah, I would be mad too. <laughs> and that actually reminds me of what I was going to say earlier is I hadn't occurred to me until just this conversation, but are the dead really visiting him or is that his subconscious? Like you, you said, it was his guilt. He was feeling guilty. Was that just his subconscious mind's way of telling him he's got to off himself because he knows he's a werewolf? Hmm. Well, <laughs> I think, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know because it... it he he deals with so much psychological you know trauma alone just in a damn hospital <laughs> oh yeah 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 exactly so that, it's hard i would say narratively speaking it's the dead it really is i would say from an artistic perspective it's his guilt because they have all this like information that they tell him about and like they explain who they were that oh i had a family all this stuff and like yeah it's his guilt but it felt like it was meant to be clear and like how um the they don't how do i phrase this the dead they keep showing up and they're more um decayed right mm-hmm. right like how the, the friend keeps showing up and i can see yeah. why that actually was funny that he keeps coming up and he's like more and more decayed actually <laughs> and that that to me was. I so you just said that. Jack. Oh yeah, Jack shows up and he's like, he's like, instead of being bloodied, he's like dead. And then he shows up and he's way more dead. And then he's like but, a skeleton, practically. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's falling apart. And I, I always thought I, you could argue it's his imagination, but I just the way it came off narratively made me seem like it was written to be that's part of the curse. 
Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, but then I can also see the artistic point that it is his guilt. It's a great commentary on the guilt of doing things unintentionally and killing people, almost like manslaughter. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. It's that's true. it's interesting. And you know what I thought was interesting too was I I didn't really notice it till this time around. Um, was that the the werewolf that's killed at the beginning was kind of this older dude. And, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, all right, so if they, if the people in the town knew there was a werewolf around, was he one of the townsfolk or was he sort of this outsider? You know, he's got, this, this character has this whole backstory that I would love to know about. That, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it, it's also the whole David thing happens over the course of like three. I guess three weeks technically because he's in the hospital, but then he gets up and in a matter of like two days he gets killed. Right. Um, so I, I think I, I really am curious how long that the curse lasted on that previous person. And the way the townsfolk acted made me think he was, it was just another instance of the curse to them. Not necessarily like they lost a family member. Right. Because they didn't like, like, take the body or anything like that they just kind of yeah. shot him and said congratulations you're still alive bye um <laughs> yeah that yeah. was kind of it well you know what else you know to you know i i also watched renfield did you guys did anyone yes. have a chance okay i didn't yeah. see that yet you should watch that because yes i think it, it, it's 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 almost sort well no, not almost it is very similar to an american werewolf in london except it it goes a bit further with the whole ghoul ghoul thing um because as you guys know redfield is like this you know yeah at, at my beck and call type ghoul a little bit and it's just interesting to see um you know that that role i haven't seen that even in the the older universal pictures i have not seen a air quotations renfield like that um but i i i think i sort of see where where it sort of started here with 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 jack Possibly, um, because even Renfield is sort of sort of dumb, dumb, kooky, and says funny things, um, like a like a little little helper or servant who you know who you see but who you don't want to see. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, often. <laughs> and you know, Dantes, you mentioned the fact that uh, uh, what's his name? David was in the hospital for three weeks before he actually woke up. Where the heck are his parents? It doesn't take three weeks to get to London in 1981. <laughs> Well, and you know, and that's true too. It actually was a heck of a lot cheaper to get from America to the, to to over there then. So, I mean, where? But and you know what else? <laughs> now that we're talking about that, remember when he was in the hospital, the embassy came in. Remember, right? And <laughs> yeah, that was Frank Oz's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came in and he goes, "Oh yeah, we've notified your parents of everything. They're 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 fine." And 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 I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> Why are you guys not pulling him and shutting this operation down? Is this right. like, is this not what we how we treat American citizens? It's like uh, he was giving me Vietnam vibes. It really was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I don't know. I'm kind of curious on where that kind of goes. Is it meant to be an intentional thing? I guess it actually ties totally. into the whole puberty thing. With you feel dis, you know, your parents feel like you're, they're not around, and you know. The only family member he talks to is his little little sister. Yeah. So there's yep. there is that, um, in terms of like connection to your family, especially after the curse thing happens. Also, something to point out with the whole puberty thing. 
doesn't he transform into a werewolf the second time in a porn theater? Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> like, Animalistic nature. Yeah, exactly. I talk about, like, new urges. Like, that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> and he's going to be able to chew all the meat he can in that theater. Right. And, of course, uh. they're watching a movie called See You Next Tuesday, which actually, Landis, they made that for this film, specifically for the film. That's hysterical. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but I just wanted to jump back to the hospital scenes for a bit because I th- there's another scene we talk about not being able to shoot it today. You've got that little kid who just says no to everything. And this other kid comes up, he swipes one of his comic books, and then he slaps the nurse on the ass. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, gosh. No, man. Oh, no, no, no. Totally would not be able to. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? No. I would have gotten slapped by my parents if I did that. Like, right. No, to be honest with you guys, man, I'm not even joking. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know when you were born, Spence, but see, I remember a time like where, like, I'm not joking. My dad would have been like, "Hey, go ahead, son." Like that was just how. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. That's been just back. how it was back then. Like you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I would have been backhanded so hard, I would have woken up three weeks later in a British hospital. Like, that's bad. <laughs> I, I I would not get away with that. <laughs> I wouldn't have hit you that hard. It would just, the, the neighbors would have ended up in the hospital. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it would have, it, it's just, that's, that's, that is pretty funny, actually. And, but you know, and, and, and I heard rumors of them wanting to actually re, redo this film. Oh, and if God. they did, they totally would have to take out a couple of scenes. Yeah. I hope yeah. they don't. I mean, I don't care for the nightmare sequences. I don't see what value they serve to the narrative, uh, personally. Yeah. I think those are the only parts of the narrative where, like, they just added it because they wanted to scare the audience. Which sequences? The nightmare sequences where, like, the, like the, um, the guys with the masks run in. Oh, you mean the Nazi werewolves? Yeah, I didn't. I, I remember thinking that didn't that didn't check for me. That always scared the shit out of me, even this time. <laughs> it's a jump. It's a jump scare, it but it didn't feel like it was. It yeah, it's it's startling, but I I personally, it's not my type of horror. I much prefer the actual like. Actually, like I like the body horror. I like the I like a lot more atmospheric stuff. So I found that just to be like kind of a kind of cheap in a way to get right. to scare the audience. I don't know. That's the only thing that I felt it the movie kind of narratively fell flat. Because other than that, besides the like the parent plot hole, you could argue the artistic intention there. I don't see the artistic intention with the nightmare stuff. You know, it's funny because Landis did address that in in his interview, and I can't recall what he said. Now I think it was just. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was saying something along the lines of he wanted to show what was sort of going on in David's subconscious as his body was was acclimating into becoming a full on werewolf. You know, not 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 I don't mean the transformation. I mean, life in general, like now he's going to become this person who changes into a wolf, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know. I, 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 what about the dream within a dream? That I, I've, that's happened to me a couple of times over the years, and that always scares the shit out of me. <laughs> I, once again, I just don't understand why it's in the movie. It didn't. It doesn't get called back. It doesn't get paid off. It doesn't have. It it, it, yeah, I just. It, it felt like filler to be part of the movie. That if they took it out, the movie still works. Mm-hmm. Like completely, the themes still completely work. So I was a little like slightly disappointed in that front. But no movie's perfect. So you know. 
if my biggest critique is a couple of scenes were kind of unnecessary, but the rest of the film's great, yeah, it's probably a good film. Right, right. Uh, oh, I, I remember now. He said it was because he wanted to help show the audience the internal battle in David's mind. Well, it I certainly suppose. worked, I think, because it confused the heck out of me every time they did it. <laughs> yeah, like, it, yeah, it, it felt confusing, and it didn't, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't quite clear on the symbolism. I might want to revisit that, but I, I wasn't so. quite clear. I'm going to, too, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. that one that one definitely didn't didn't hit me immediately for that for all that stuff. Um, so I find it. Well, go for it. Bob. Well, I was going to say, remember when Jack first appears to him and he says he asks him if he's got any toast? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, I, I guess there's a scene that they had to cut out to get an R rating where Jack's eating the toast and a part of it falls out of his neck because <laughs> oh. he's all shredded. Oh, and then they That's fucking hilarious. They also um I guess there's a scene where the werewolf attacks a bunch of uh homeless guys. Um and a f- preview audience is like totally freaked out at that, so they cut that. What why? I don't know. What? Wow. I I I I'm all for padding the kill count and then adding it to his guilt level. Yeah, that's so. fine. That would have I thought that would have been kind of interesting. I will say the movie felt like it ended abruptly that it the pacing kind of didn't feel even throughout it was this like slow paced and then it just got like progress like it felt logarithmic not linear yeah i don't i don't know how much i like that uh that's what he landis wanted he's like i wanted to just boom 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 kill him and then we're done and then but i just yeah. feel like the the payoff could have been a, a lot bigger yeah, yeah. I, I don't know there was some there was something it felt like there was something missing in the end there when he just gets kind of killed by a bunch of the soldiers. I, I don't know. I was a little and shocked I, that it happened so fast. You mean I the honestly, you know, yes. and I, in up until I, you know, as of now, I always thought that there would be a two just because it leaves all of that question. You know, there's just so many questions that go unanswered by, you know, how abruptly it ended. Like, I mean, all we, you know, we, everybody knows, you know, the mythology and, you know, and whatnot, you know, so I it just, they're left, there was just a lot more that could have been, been done. Yeah. 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 And I, I was okay with them not focusing on the whole silver thing because it did feel like more of a character piece than a, than, than trying to establish a whole mythology. Um, I didn't, I didn't mind that at all. I thought that was okay. And when they do kill him, it, it almost validated the belief that this isn't supernatural or at least as supernatural as we believe it. Like, like, like if you just, if you just had a a giant animal running across London, it could have ended the same way. (laughs) And it's the the nurse, instead of being a lover is like a caretaker. And suddenly it's like, no, don't do that. And then it it charges and it gets killed. Like, it's actually kind of interesting that they treated it like a proper natural animal instead of, putting it on this pedestal and it's interesting and there's another nod to the wolfman that i hadn't considered before either was when he turns back into a man after being killed at the end you know it's almost like they're gonna you know they're just gonna rationalize it just in the same way you know lon cheney killed bela lugosi in the wolfman and they were like oh he must have he must have thought he was fighting a wolf but uh, and bela came to help and he accidentally killed him you know, like, again, it's it's the rationalizing it away. It, oh, and it couldn't possibly be a werewolf, you know? Yeah, yeah. I will say I, I was 
kind of shocked that there were only two moments where David turned into a werewolf. We didn't see any long-term consequences. You're right. You're right about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm a little, It's just kind of different because it's different different movies address it different ways. I keep referencing The Wolfman, but that's a good, clear inspiration. There's a lot more long longevity in that where multiple werewolf transformations and multiple times we have to kind of rationalize it. And even like you said, narratively, they address it that, oh, this is mu- this must be psychologically what happened is he thought he was fighting a wolf. Bela came to help and he must have killed Bela. It's, it's the only logical explanation. And they didn't really do that in this movie. There wasn't a clear sign of like He, like, he kind of accepted the werewolf thing at his first hallucination, like sec- first or second hallucination. So there wasn't a lot of disbelief to people who heard the story. Right, right. Even the doctor figures it out. Isn't there, there a whole subplot where he goes into the place and is like, hey, didn't an American come through here? And like somebody pulls him aside and is like, yeah, crazy shit's been happening. Like yes. doctor was kind of like receptive to the idea that this is more than more than natural. Right. So I think that was his takeaway from his visit to the town was like, oh, shit, I think this is real. Because at first he was all for, oh, no, it's just all in your head. But then he was like... Uh oh, I think there's something going on here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that never happened in most previously famous werewolf movies. There wasn't a lot of coming to the belief aspect of it. There was just you either believed it or you didn't. And in the end, the people who didn't kind of kind of won. It was actually kind of interesting. Like it's kind of a weird bridge between that rural and that city stuff that I was talking about earlier, where the cops are like, big animal, we're gonna have to shoot it down. But the doctor's like, hold on a minute, there's more to this, and he has to come to terms with that. Yeah. It's a loose mm-hmm. loose thing, because David never goes through that. David never goes through, no, this isn't real, that's crazy. He kind of is just like, oh, sure, whatever, I'm sure it might be real, and then it does actually turn in real, and he doesn't ever have any, he doesn't reject it Yeah. at any point. So <laughs> I find that n- narratively interesting. Did you know David Norton was not only was he really naked in all the naked scenes, but he was really naked in the wolf pen in the London Zoo. That's hysterical. Please tell me they like. Oh, God. It, it, he said I hope they, it was closed they, for they, filming that day. <laughs> he said um, they didn't expect the wolf to come up to him. Oh, wow. <laughs> all of a sudden they did. And he was like shitting his pants. And he's like, yep, I did that in one take and I wasn't going to do it again. <laughs> That's that's fair. That is fair. <laughs> that's just another small link to the natural to the to the naturalization of this curse thing. The only two supernatural elements are turning into a werewolf and transferring the werewolf curse. Nothing else about the movie is treated as supernatural. He's he has this affinity with the wolves, you know, on screen. And and I might even, you know, I might even go so far as to say that I see a direct connection all the way to the X-Files because, of, you know, so much of the X-Files was, you know, the truth is out there. But, you know, a lot of it was not, um, you know, directly supernatural based. There was, you know, there, there generally at times there was a scientific logical explanation for some of these things. So, right. Like you know, the, the uh, tombs guy that could, he was just a mutant, you know, he could, he could stretch himself into small spaces. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so, you know, and it's good that we, we still have, you know, movies like this, you know, and, and I don't know why, the, has this movie actually been uh, preserved by the Library of Congress or am I like 
Am I shooting too far I, by? I can't imagine why it wouldn't have been, but I don't know. I could look it up. I'm not sure if it needs to be yet, because I think it's still on a lot of services, so it's still widely available. No, okay. no. Is, yeah. is kind of the deal? No, it doesn't matter if it's widely available. It's just It just means that they actually get an original print of the film and save it in the archives so that it doesn't ever get lost in history. I Yeah, oh, okay. If that's the case, then it probably, I would say, because... It was a success, so like the like the the film was 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 known. It was didn't go fly under the radar, and is and something could have happened to it. It's reasonably well known, at least at the time. So, yeah. Probably. Well, Michael Jackson's Thriller is preserved in the Library of Congress. I, <laughs> we we want we want the same thing for this 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 film because, I mean, and and I think me and Rigor we talked about this previously, like you know with with. The problem with where we are now, you know, as a society is that, you know, a lot of this content is being hosted online. And if, you know, someone has a disagreement over, you know, content rights, they can easily just pull it down. You know, so movies like this, you know, and even, you know, earlier films, you know, like The Mommy or, you know, Dracula and all those things, all of that stuff needs to be, you know, protected so we can always have, you know, that physical copy because who's to say, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all of these other, you know, people will be around, you know, yeah. 20 years. We don't know. That's, right. a, um, that's the reason we haven't had a new Friday the 13th movie in almost two decades. Yeah. No. Yeah, because yeah, of the, a, what? The, it's it's decade, New Line yeah. and Paramount having the war or something? or It was a couple of people. But yeah, like the, like one lawsuit put the kibosh on so many pieces of content. Even the game couldn't make new content. Right. So, so yeah. that that can definitely affect a movie. I'm grateful that it hasn't quite hit this one yet. So, I'm on the Library of Congress page and it is it's on the this long list of films that are not in the registry just yet. Wow. They might just have to go through and add more things. I'm not it got an Academy Award for Christ's sake, so Yeah, Rick Baker won it for the effects. And we were just talking about that, I yeah. think. So, that's that's great. That's awesome. Which, yeah, cuz I I noticed it right away, like, I mean, you know, being a, you know, musician sound guy, you know, I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, it, I mean, it, it's very, very good. Very good. Oh, yeah. And I guess, so I guess Rick Baker was working, and I learned this because I just did a recording about the howling. He was working on the howling, and he ended up, I forget exactly why, but he also was contracted for this film, so he had to leave the howling, so he left it in Rob Botin's hands. And so they kind of, but he kind of started it. And so if you if you look at both films kind of simultaneously in terms of special effects, because they both came out in the same year, um, they were both very groundbreaking. And Rick Baker kind of had a hand in in those groundbreaking effects, like with the, you know, the bladders with the pumps under the the fake skin and stuff like that. And um, yeah, that 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 oh god, that's you're still making me cringe. I'm just. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's so like, it's so, you know, if I had a five-year-old, they'd be scared by that. Like it, 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 it's, it's, it, I think what makes it so brutal is the fact that it was done by hand, you know, right. like that right. is, you know, it like that poor, poor soul laying there, like literally looking like he was in between life and death, <laughs> you know, yeah. like. Just being ripped apart, like when his spine rolls. Oh yeah! Out of, oh my god, dude! I had to get out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I 
was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to need a back massage after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, like, in, uh, David Naughton in the commentary was saying that, like, in the transformation scene, they um, they glued the hair on him um, little by little, and he, he wanted to walk around <laughs> and just, like, like have, a, like, a, a you know, an open neck shirt on and have people wonder why he's got so much hair all over his body. <laughs> I mean, the whatever... Whatever they did, they did it so well enough, in fact, that Michael Jackson himself came came knocking. I mean, you can clearly you can clearly oh, yeah. see why, you know, he wanted wanted to work with Landis like like and, and that's the great thing about, you know, art. good art transcends time. And the fact that, you know, here we are in 2023, 40 something years later, you know, talking about you know, a film that has had the cultural significance of, say, a, mm, it, it, it almost as important as the slice of bread, because you can't make a sandwich without a slice of, slice of bread. You know, it, 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 it's just a testament to, to how well everything was done. Um, how many of us can name, you know, films that have come out recently that can still hold, you know, a candle to not even The Nun? You know, did you guys see The Nun? Um, no. The first one, the new one that just came out. No, we we almost did last week. We almost started the drive-in, but we didn't. Okay, never mind. I won't say anything about it. But <laughs> um, yes, this 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 movie, I would go see this movie right now and spend twenty dollars in the movies to see it, as opposed to what I saw for the nun last weekend. So yeah, that, that that's just that that's that that's impressive. <laughs> Oh my god, I I, I got to see that. But um, I just wanted to get back to the tr- transformation scene. And one last thing I wanted to mention about it was, um, David Naughton said, um, when you when first of all, it took six days to film that entire sequence, and when he drops to his hands and knees, and then he flips over onto his back, it's and it's kind of obvious if you look at it now, um, he's in the floor, so his lower torso and his legs are fake, but his upper body's real. And he said he was in there for like four or five hours and it was completely uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I really liked see. I, I both liked and disliked seeing him in that intermediate state because it was so, I don't know, like it, it freaked me out. And I was like, I don't know if this is good or bad because it's, it looked really, really wrong it was very uncanny valley for me seeing him with like (laughs) like almost like clown shoes level feet and and hands but it was also like painful to watch you didn't i didn't want to look but i wanted to keep looking and then eventually he gets to be more wolf-like and that's when they like the the cuts start getting faster and you don't actually see him become the full werewolf you just see him in that intermediate state and it's oh it's so gross yeah yeah it's done so well that it's so gross (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, oh my I, God! When when Rick Baker first met David Naughton, he basically said the first thing he said to him was, "I feel sorry for you." Oh. <laughs> so it took it took ten hours to put the makeup on, and he goes and David Naughton said it was like a long flight that never gets anywhere. No. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> but they shot oh, the movie God. pretty much in order, and I guess that whole awesome sequence in Piccadilly Circus. The the reason they say. I guess London's never let people or very rarely let people shoot there. And 
he basically John Landis set up a screening of the Blues Brothers, and he invited three hundred of the uh, London Metropolitan Police Force. And he goes, "And you what? What do you know? Suddenly, I had permission to shoot in Piccadilly Circus." I I supposed. I suppose. So they shot it like at one in the morning. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it, and, uh, yeah, I guess up up until that point, filming had been banned there for 15 years. So that's pretty cool. And actually, Landis plays the pedestrian get that uh, gets hit and goes through the plate glass window. Oh, God. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm going to have to rewatch it again. Thanks, yeah. Rob. <laughs> Oh my god. And then there was something I wanted to mention about the porno movie. He goes, um Oh yeah. First of all, I love the name. See you next Tuesday. Okay. We we get that. <laughs> what that at least means. <laughs> and then he goes, uh, we made the porno ourselves and it was the first scene that we shot. It started Lin- Lindsay Drew, who was a page three girl at the time. She went on to have an impressive porn career. <laughs> well Well, if it works, it works, I guess. He was going to have it be a cartoon short, but by the time he got to London, it had become seedy, and all the places that would show cartoons were um, showing porno films. Wow. Uh, Explains so much. What a loss. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember those days in Boston, just, you know, walking down with my parents, like, and we had maybe had to cut through the combat zone or something, and it was just, like, Pussycat Theater here and Nasty Theater there, and it was like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, see, I just said, like, I totally remember all of that stuff coming out of the late 80s into the early 90s. Like, it was, that's what I said, like, I, I totally remember going to places and, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Not intentionally, but, you know, like, that was just how, how things were back then. People weren't very, uh, shield your kids. You smoked in front of them, you cussed in front of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, heck, you smoked on airplanes back then. Not up until what, like 2000, 2010? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, the thing I always thought was a riot when I was a kid was like, you go, go, oh, can we sit in the non-smoking section? But there was no wall between them, so all the smoke from the smoking section would just waft over to the non-smoking section. It was so awful and just pointless, especially like when you would go out to places like Old Country Buffet. Yeah. <laughs> when they huh. didn't have sneeze guards. No sneeze guard. Like <laughs> nothing. Nothing. D- does anyone miss the the miss that time? I don't. <laughs> uh I, I miss the time, but maybe not, you know, those things. But <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's got its good and bad. So I guess in the scene where the dude was on the escalator. And the wolf starts coming at him, and the camera's like at the top, looking down at it. Uh, that's Naughton in the top half of the wolf, and they cut before you. He crawled into the camera frame so you could see his bottom half. Hmm. And I love and see and I love this the. And and that's what makes you know all of these these projects like so amazing. Just the like the simplicity of the tools that were used, you know. I love the fact that, like, you don't see too many actors nowadays, you know, willing to do things like that. They'll, oh, CGI it. Yeah. <laughs> and visual effects from computers have their place, but for things like this, when you really want to get into the the meat, no pun intended, of body horror, it, it's 
practical effects just kind of they they just have that effect on just like they really make you make you want to look away and but also you want to keep watching yeah somehow well especially if you look at the sequel to this movie which was all done with computer effects especially back then because i think it was in the early to mid 90s it was american world from paris and it's just god awful it's it makes birdemic look like you know jurassic park (laughs) oh man you're not lying <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, I don't. I'm not going to give practical effects. Say practical effects are like perpetually better than CGI because personally, I I don't notice a lot of bad CGI. So when people are like, oh, the CGI sucks, I'm like, I don't know. It looks kind of cool to me. Uh, <laughs> and so I don't ever. I don't really have that that conversation of like, oh, this was bad CGI. People talk about like new movies that come out. They're like, the CGI was bad. I'm like, I don't know. It looked like what you wanted it to look like. It was. I don't know. So, so I don't really have that. So I personally think that if you, if you do CGI right, it, it shouldn't take over everything, but I can understand where it it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And that's where the practical effects really come in. And this scene, if it wasn't practical, it wouldn't have worked a hundred percent. So I, so it has its place. Yeah. Uh, You gotta love that. You know, like I always say on this show, uh, Roger Ebert, you know, the famous movie critic once said, uh, stop motion animation looks fake but feels real. Computer generated stuff looks real but feels fake. That yeah. looking real is a lot bigger for my eyes, personally. I mean, it, you you got to go back and watch some '90s movies with when CGI was an infant because it, it some of it's pretty bad. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. And there are some things where I can tell, yeah, that didn't age well. The the Power Rangers movie comes to mind Yo, from God. 1991, where like the CGI, <laughs> yeah. like not all that great. The rest of the movie's fine, but the CGI, I, I can get. still swallow that movie, even though it's bad CGI. It's because yeah, like, it's because like, of the characters and the actors, you know. Because that's why CGI like doesn't doesn't turn me off to a movie. Like, have you ever, have you guys ever seen the movie Spawn? Of course. Uh, I yeah. Have not. Oh, you, Pop! You gotta watch that. Who that's is, a great. That's a great you, movie. You have not seen Spawn. I, I oh didn't. Like, I wasn't a fan of McFarlane, and uh, that's why I stopped reading Spider Man because of him. And I, I just did not want to read Spawn, and I just didn't care. I've seen clips from it. I've seen John Leguizamo as the clown doing, uh, you know, cartwheels and stuff. Funny, he's our man. If you can't do it, no one can. <laughs> I was shocked that that was Luigi, but here nor there, that that movie has CGI. <laughs> And it's it, like it's it's good, it's good, it's good. And then in like the last like twenty minutes, they try to do they try to show a really complicated sequence that's all all visual effects, and it doesn't really work. But I respect them for just wanting to show this thing, and they didn't shy away from it. You know what I mean? Right. I I always I'll always at least respect a film for really really fighting to show what they want to show because some of it is just you want the scale. This movie, you know, American Wolf in London is works because it's a very personal thing. But if you were gonna have you know an army of werewolves come through, practical effects aren't feasible. Right. They might not right. even look right. Yeah. Whereas you can make things work with visual effects, especially when it's from a distance or smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that, and the motion. Motion I, is the biggest thing for me, and I, 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 the motion feels good with the werewolf. It feels, feels heavy. Yes. Feels like, feels like it weighs a ton. Like it's very muscular. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Um. Oh, it was funny. Um. The part after he gets out of the wolf pen, and he's running around the zoo naked. First of all, the zoo they didn't close the zoo, so he's <laughs> really running around naked, and then he goes up to the old lady, and. 
he's I forget what he said to her, but they didn't tell her that he was going to be naked. They just said, oh, yeah, this guy's going to come up and say something to you. And then you just react. And she goes, OK. So he runs up and says it. And so her reaction is like real. She just kind of <laughs> whatever walks away. <laughs> I I love that. That's that's fantastic. I'm not a fan of nudity, but I thought it was handled pretty well in this film. It works narratively, and it and it. I don't think it was done in a uncomfortable way. Yeah, you know what I mean. It it fe- you felt really like you felt like David was like, okay, I don't want to be here. I'm I'm embarrassed for him. Yeah, it wasn't this like you weren't we weren't laughing at him. We were afraid for him in a social. And well, way and it's to, realistic. It. He ripped out of his clothes. I mean, if you're a werewolf, and that you're not, it's not going to be like Lon Chaney where you got a, you know a button down shirt and. <laughs> That was it, that's a funny mistake where he he gets down into his uh his his wife beater shirt and then when you see him in the werewolf he's got the button down on right that, that he that he took off earlier <laughs> so I I will admit I love that it's a, it's a neat little filmmaking touch that they didn't gloss over in the script writing right that right. no this is this is a this is a thing to remember and I, it kind of ties to the whole puberty thing you're embarrassed of your body in front of other people. Yeah, uh, I, I can I can see it. You know what I thought was interesting, too? And it's speaking of nudity. Well, first, there's two things I wanted to say. One was um one of the things that Landis had to cut down to get the R rating was uh, was the actual sex scene that you referenced. And, um, you know, and then when he's in the theater well, with. Oh, um, all right. I'll come back to that. But when he's in the theater and he starts to change, you got all this funny dialogue going on with the porno audio in the background and then he's groaning as he's change, changing, and there's moaning coming from the films. And I just I was remember watching it this time around, loving the juxtaposition of all those things, you know? Yeah, that was. Yeah, I remember thinking that that was handled pretty pretty well. Not having a problem with that. Yeah, but in terms of of, of cutting things out of the film, and then you know, I mentioned he there's a scene which I didn't check to see if the um the cutscenes were on the Blu-ray, but. Uh, where he kills a bunch of homeless guys. You got to keep in mind, too, this was 1981. This was right off the heels of Friday the 13th. From, and, you know, all of a sudden there was this backlash against violence in the movies. So they were coming down hard on a lot of films that came out in that decade because of the censors and they didn't want to see it. And parents groups were out- outraged and all this shit. And, you know, oh, yes. like like you said, I, I feel your pain. I, I would like to have seen that scene, too. But. It's too bad they, um, you know, because of the time it was in. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, at the very least, it doesn't feel like the movie's missing something. There weren't any characters who magically disappeared. There weren't any, you know, the, there weren't any characters that like, oh, these people died. And like nobody mentioned it before. Like it, it felt cohesive. So even though they yeah, had to cut it, a scene, they did. They, it, it adapted well. I think. Yeah, it was a, a very, 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 very well paced film. Um, I mean... <laughs> You you really couldn't, like he said, you know, I have to agree with Spence again, you know, like you really couldn't, you know, see anything that that really honestly didn't belong. Everybody's arc sort of arced. Yeah. <laughs> Character arc arced in the right way. Um, you know, honestly, to tell you the truth, I would, you know, I would love to see Jack's character possibly be... Um, you know, fleshed out maybe even a little bit more because he was so funny. I mean, he right. could have he, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. I mean, he, he really could. We they really could do a movie, just a standalone movie about about him. Honestly, that would be cool, and and you know, to stay in the same universe. But yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and speaking of that, you got me thinking about because remember I said, wouldn't it be interesting to see a backstory of the original, the first werewolf yeah. in the movie? But then by the same token, jumping off of what you guys said about how the movie just kind of ends and it would have been nice to have a little bit of a denouement where we could see, you know, London's reaction. I mean, for God's sakes, the werewolf bites a guy's head off, you know. So it would be kind of cool to see what happens in this universe. Do they, because so many people saw this and all these horrific things happened in a matter of minutes, I'd like to know how society reacts to it. Do they all, can, in the same way nowadays, we're going, the government's going, well, yeah, there's things in the sky. We don't know what they are. We don't think they're aliens, but we don't know what they are. You know, these people are like, well, yeah, there was a monster and it killed people. We don't know if it was a werewolf, but some kind of monster killed people, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can understand why they didn't do that, even though I love post-action and seeing the effects of the narrative to make it feel good. I can see why he, they didn't, because the entire movie is pretty much David's perspective. That's true. The entire film, and it's all about his body horror and his family and how he's dealing with his guilt for pretty much 85 to 90 percent of the movie. It is him. So I get why the moment he's gone, the movie is over. Yeah. I, I, I get that for this movie. But I agree that I do think a little bit of at least at least a few seconds of everybody, like even the, even the, all the cops like, oh, my God, what did we just do for a moment? Right. I, I think that I think it would would have benefited from that. But I can understand why they, they wouldn't linger on that because they're not trying to build a mythology. They're trying to have a character piece. And it worked. And. Yeah, mythology or world building wasn't in the mindset at the time. It wasn't even considered, even though I always thought about it because Marvel Comics was already doing it. And I was I always well, the world building was already low key done for them with the Wolfman. They reference it directly. Anybody who's seen yeah, that movie do. and in the, in the yeah. 1980s, they probably have seen a few of the classic monster movies can get an idea. OK, we're dealing with werewolves and like general werewolf rules apply. But then they they don't really need to lean into that after that. Yeah, I I was okay. I'm, I was pretty okay with that. I was. It's, it's my my personal taste is the world building, but when they weren't trying to break the mold in that sense, I was like, okay, this this works. That felt that that felt good for the for the film. I can I can totally get why why it, it all happened. It's so funny how this came out head to head with the Howling. Well, not really head to head. I think one came out at the beginning of the year and one came out at the end. But um, because the Howling is ch not only it's chock full of. Wolfman references and homages and yeah. even clips at the very, very end of the credits. There's a, a clip of um, Maria Uspenskaya saying saying something. I forget what it was, but yeah i I remember liking I remember liking this movie a lot more than The Howling. But there's this real clear line where romance and sexuality is directly connected to werewolfism. Yeah. It's 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 in almost every werewolf film where werewolves are the main thing. Like the Wolfman, he ends up attacking um that girl Gwen. Right. Uh, this movie, he he doesn't attack the girl, but it has to do with like, um you know, sexuality and and puberty. The Howling. There's this whole like there's a whole subplot about marital infidelity. <laughs> so like it's there. Yeah. It's there, which is it's it's very interesting to think about. 
They kind of do that with vampires too. Like they always romanticize Dracula as this suave guy, and vampires are are vermin. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a that's a fair point. Somebody somebody did point out a long time ago though that if you have immortality and you're not rich by like modern day, like what the hell? Like what are you doing? <laughs> right. What are you doing? So so I was I was kind of like that, and I always like the the when werewolves are shown in other pieces of media too. Like this one has a werewolf front and center, but it implies the existence of other cryptid-like supernatural things that just so happen to be in other places. In London and in the UK, it's a werewolf, but who knows if they're if they're anywhere else. We only get the one that attacked him and David. And, and then it ends. And then the werewolf's gone. Like is is that the only werewolf on the planet? We have no idea. Well, who turned the original one? Exactly. You know? We have no clue. And but apparently that's somehow an end of a bloodline. Hmm. This, and there's also this this running thread of whenever you get turned into a werewolf, it generally speaking happens after you've killed the original. Not everyone. Like the Howling, they're much more like, nah, you can get infected by it really easily. But in this one in Wolfman, it's very much after the original one dies, does the curse move on. Interesting. Now, it's funny because tonight at midnight, I'm going to be doing a recording with Michael and um, we're going to talk about a movie called Cursed uh, from 2007. Yeah, and that's the the big push of the film is you have to kill the the one that turned you before you turn into a wolf, you know, which is kind of similar to vampires too. But then, like you said, by the same token, other movies or media will have it be that you only turn once the one that that bit you or or cut you is killed. Yeah, because in I, in this movie, it's not too common, but they kind of imply that there's a level of superhuman durability. Not necessarily compared to bullets, but like the um Jack, the friend, doesn't come back. He's dead, even though he also got bit by the werewolf. So well, I rationalize that as he was shredded. I mean, there was no coming back from, that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So the curse, so the curse followed along is kind of my point there. In, instead of it just being an infection, it's a there's there's a rhyme and rhythm to it that we kind of can only catch on from David's perspective. Right. Which I, I really like that. I think that's a, that's a nice way to to do that, and it it didn't feel invasive to the to werewolves overall and in, in how they're portrayed. So I I always I res, I really respect this movie for what it was trying to do. It so it's got a lot going for it. Yeah. What's uh, funny is you guys got me thinking about this a lot more deeply now because I'm thinking about the opening sequence in the 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 small you know remote town in England. All right. So you got these people, right? You live in this town. There's some dude. We don't know if he's a citizen or if he's an outcast that lives on the outskirts of town, but he turns into a werewolf and he kills. So they're smart enough to figure out where we just batten down the hatches and wait till, till morning and we'll be fine. But if this guy's been going around, right. And they've been doing that. So he's had nothing maybe, but animals, but there aren't even that many animals on the moors. I would imagine. I mean, there's, because England's so populated, especially by 81, there weren't a whole heck of a lot of wild animals left. So wouldn't this guy have been so hungry that he would have just busted through the door of that pub and just eaten everybody in one shot? Hmm. Yeah, the evidence I would say that ties to that is the fact that they use, they identify the killer as, an, as escaped from an institution. 
So it oh, was he okay. stuck there for a while? Well, I, that also is similar in in line with uh, some of the campfire stories that we would we would hear growing up about people escaping from mental institutions. In fact, I believe I think one of the characters that we were always uh, made aware of was called Hatchet Harry, and he was another loony bin supposedly. So I don't know. It's just I, I think a lot of a lot of these. I don't know. I feel like a lot of these movies might even possibly be derived from like all of the old campfire legends and stuff as well that we we were taught. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> look at um, what's what's that one um, where death is following the the young people. Oh, uh, final destination. Yes. Thank you. Yes, that's yeah. It. You know, and they did a lot. A lot of um. Uh, urban legends oh, oh urban legends is the other one where they basically oh, oh took... god i forgot about yeah that. Oh. <laughs> where, oh if someone drives past you and they don't have their lights on and you flash them then they turn around and kill you i mean i remember hearing that legend when i was a kid you know and then they used it in the movie <laughs> well i don't know if that's a legend now or just what or what's going on in the world because we see that on the news <laughs> Yeah, and I, from a narrative perspective, uh, I think this movie does a great job because in The Wolfman, the clear inspiration, the narrative and the werewolf comes from a traveling group. It's not local. But in this, it's kind of local. Right, right. And, you know, it just occurred to me, too, that they um, in the pub they had that protection um, pentagram on the wall. So that yeah. could be... Oh, I didn't think about that. I, yeah, yeah I didn't... It doesn't okay. get it doesn't get paid off at all, but it's a it's a lovely reference to the the Wolfman since the whole pentagram thing was kind of tied to that. Uh, it kind of gets dropped off in later pieces of media, but they I like that they kind of referenced it and kept it as if it there's more to this than we'll ever get to know. Right, right. I, I always I always did appreciate that, and it, it's kind of it's just kind of interesting. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm big into it. I like I like what the the script overall. That's really what I look at most is. As much as this movie gets praised for its effects, I love narrative structure and I love the when things rhyme in a way. So I like that it kind of, that there are rhymes in this film thematically. Yeah, yeah. And with other films, it it lines up. It it tries to line up. So I so, I, I love it. All right. So let's. Why don't we um, give our final thoughts on American Werewolf in London and Dantes? You go first. Final thoughts on American Werewolf in London. I definitely think it is a watch. Um, I would give this like 10 thumbs up um, just because of the script. Well-written, well-paced. Um, effects stand the test of time. Like I said, I can't keep comparing it to Star Wars because, I mean, that's not fair, but it is at least on that level for me. Um and then also, too, I like the social commentary that still has a relevancy with what's going on today. Um, definitely, definitely check it out, and you might notice something that we haven't. Nice. Spence? Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think, the, I think the movie itself is solid, and it tells a really fun story. It's, it is an enjoyable watch from beginning to end, and... Uh, if you haven't seen it before, I would highly recommend it. It's actually proper scary. So, absolutely, ten out of ten. Absolutely, ten out of ten. I agree with you guys. You know, I love this movie as well. I, I think it's a classic that still holds up. 
Um, I, one thing I love about the, this movie too is I I love the fact that the whole end sequence is this werewolf, this monster in the middle of the city. You never see that sort of thing, um, and you know, and because and there's so many things about it. Even just talking about it now gets you thinking about what what happened before to the first wolf, and then how does this uh, David's appearance in the city and you know literally bites the guy's head off. You know, how do you explain that away? You know, how does this affect the world afterwards? So it's good because it gets you thinking about those things. It doesn't have to show you those things. Yeah. Um, you know, as it, you guys it, mentioned, of course, the oh, what were we going to say, Spence? It caters to the title. It's a it's an American werewolf in London. <laughs> that we actually get to see him go around in London. As opposed to Jason Takes Manhattan in the last five minutes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> But yeah, the effects are just amazing, as we all said, and it's funny and scary, and you know, I, I just love everything about this movie too, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, exactly. So, Dantes, can you tell us? Can you tell the folks where they can find you and your music online? Sure, absolutely. You guys can honestly just do a, a quick Google search for uh, Dantes Alexander. Uh, I'm sure Rigor, a.k.a. Roger, will have some cool links uh, for you guys to check out. You guys can see all of the cool projects, music-related stuff that I have going on. Uh, yeah, and uh, thank you guys for having me again. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. I will put all the links in the show notes. And uh, Spence, it's great talking to you again, and we're going to figure something out. So, Dantes, I just want to let you know before we... Um, we we close out the show is we're gonna we're doing the final episode is gonna be a Wolfman roundup and we're gonna talk about the original Wolfman and the remake with Benicio del Toro. So if you're interested in that, I'll try to work something out where we can all we can all How be together. How dare you do that to me? Oh God, I'm gonna have to partake in that too. Okay, I love that damn movie. And people 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 beat me up for loving Benicio in that movie. Yeah. I gotta rewatch it. I remember being slightly disappointed, but I was also a kid, so I gotta see it again. I thought, you know, I thought it was okay. I think the reason why it was people gave it the flack is just because, I mean, it's a remake. Benicio del Toro sort of looked like he was a, in a drag version of himself. <laughs> yeah, well, we're used to seeing him, you know, with the dark hair and the ponytail. He just in this movie, they even attempted to give him like i think he had blonde hair i believe um it just you know it it was hard to watch someone like that pretend to be a well a well-bred englishman i will say that right right well we'll get into all that when we do that show so um for now folks we're signing off and join us again next episode Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode of this year's 13 Days of Hallotober. Don't forget to check out our website at havenpodcasts.com, where you'll find our other shows, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers Kung Fu films and spaghetti westerns from the 60s to the 80s, and The Cult Movie Lounge, where we talk about all cult movies all the time. And check out our live monthly streaming show, Fright Lounge, in which the best horrorologists in town discuss horror media for the seasoned horror fan, as well as introducing newbies to the genre. And at our website, you can also find my blogs, Then Is Now, The Films of John Saxon, 
and horror films of the 1970s. If you like what you're hearing, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that other listeners can find us. Thank you for joining us today, and have a wonderful October. like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com